Football on Off the Ball with Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership, and much more live on Sky Sports. Hi, Shirley. Football show. Very happy to have you with us. Michael McCarthy's here in the studio. Pat Nevin's going to be joining us uh, presently. Weekend one of the Premier League has delivered. Podcast listeners, you've just heard Andy Mitten. We're not going to inflict Manchester United on you straight away. We'll get to it with Pat at some stage. Uh, Mick. Uh, one oh. burning question from the weekend. What did Jesse Marsh say? <laughs> I don't know. What's the unforgivable thing that you can't say on a football field? Anymore. That was the thing that really added an element of re- intrigue. Uh, Bruno Large, uh, walking off the pitch, this big row with Jesse Marsh. And he was asked about it afterwards and he said, uh, something was said in the first half, which you can't say anymore these days. Hmm. Implied it may have been a thing that was said on the touchline. Now not. I actually can't figure it out. You said this to me earlier and I said, I'll have something for him. That's the one. I'll have a genuine guess. I, I actually haven't the clue. Because I was thinking, God, was it, was it, was it racism? Then I thought, no, well, Bru- I don't think Bruno so. Bruno wouldn't be saying that that was cool back in the day. So I yeah. shook that off. No, I don't think it didn't feel like it was in on that. It didn't feel like it was down that path no. at all. I'm again for the record. I'm not accusing Jesse no, Marsh I remember, of racism. Do you remember speaking? We were talking before the break about mic'd up referees. Do you remember the one time they ever did it in football? It was like the David Ellery in the, like a old Graham uh, George Graham Arsenal yeah. game, and there was the whole thing where Tony Adams. Tony Adams lost the head and called him a cheat, Eesh. and everything was fine up until he said that as cursing blinded. Don't call me a cheat. So that high was, pitched as well, Tony Adams. Oh, it was the highest pitch I've ever. Heard. <laughs> <laughs> and David Ellery lost it. I said that was the one thing you can't say. But I don't think a manager that might be a referee might say that. But I don't think a manager would have an issue with it. I, I actually don't know what it is. It's, it's, very, it's actually intriguing. It's added incredible intrigue. Yeah. Wolves versus Leeds, I didn't think we'd be starting the, oh. the football show with, but there you go. So Something you can't say these days, because uh, then the, I think it was a match of the day, I just had my head in my hands as a journalist, I was crying because interviewed Bruno Large and he said this, and then interviewing Jesse, and he's like, was it something serious or just one of those things? I was like, oh, <laughs> Guess what Jesse said? <laughs> 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 just one of those things. Yeah, just one of those things. Yeah, I presume that at Bruno's next press conferences, or indeed uh, up in Yorkshire, he'll be asked about it. But uh, yeah, that was um, that was one of the intriguing things. So on um, events at Old Trafford for a moment, we haven't talked at all about Graham Potter. Potter has been one of these figures in the league for the last couple of years that you've noticed and thought he seems like a very reasonable man and obviously doing a very good job. I didn't know much about him. No, and he did a bunch of interviews in the Sunday papers over the weekend and came across incredibly well he's 47 years of age now so I have Jonathan Northcroft's one in the Sunday Times in front of me and if you want to place Potter as a player because at the top of my head I, did, I didn't remember Graham Potter he was part of that 6-3 win for Southampton against Manchester United back in the day was he? yeah substitute well, I'm surprised I didn't know that yeah. I know yeah, he's at pains in this interview to point out what a terrible player he is. <laughs> he says, I was a decent footballer, but I wasn't absolutely great in any position. I was a left back who wasn't great at defending. I was a midfielder. I was good going forward, never at blistering pe- place, pace. rather, And I didn't quite believe in myself as well. He played one England under 21 game and that was kind of the, the height of his achievements. But to be fair to him, like he is downplaying it. He had about 13 seasons at championship level or higher. Yeah. But in his own view, it uh, wasn't uh, particularly memorable. Uh, player but what I didn't realise is how Potter reached this point I just presumed in the way that it's dangerous to that he managed at lower league level in England and did something impressive and got Mm. the Brighton gig and that's why he's here not at all so how's this for a decade 
So he is uh, he's retired and he's making his way in the game. He's getting paid 17, that's one seven, 17,000 a year as the University of Hull coach. And his wife at the time is a very successful Pilates business. He's just had a young child and out of nowhere, he's offered the job at Ozerstund, who were in the fourth division of Sweden. Yeah. I know this part. All right. Yeah. Fourth division of Sweden. Mm. Sits down with his wife, winds up the Pilates business and goes for it and gets them to Europa League football. He was saying it's quite interesting in Swedish football, as you might imagine, it's very uh, physical, big, strong Scandinavian guys. He said four four two, whereas he said his team had a lot of second generation immigrant players, and there was a real emphasis on technicality over physicality. And you know, it's some interesting uh, methods. I suspect we'll be talking about Mikael Arteta in the coming days and uh, the All or Nothing documentary at Osterstund. He and his players took part in culture shows like performing the ballet Swan Lake mm. and staging a rap concert and producing work for an art exhibition. Uh, recently, Brighton's squad were asked to bring in two or three f- photographs of things they, that were important to them and discuss uh, the photos in the small in, in small groups, rather. And uh, Potter did this as well. So he was talking about the blame culture in English football when he first came, like it was pinned against the wall. You haven't did this. Don't you do this again. This is your fault. Whereas he said... He's completely moved away from this. He did um, a thesis on the art of reflective practice when he was over in Sweden as well. And his tutor deemed it publishable of that kind of standard. Um, but he he's just full of kind of interesting things that would make you really warm to him. So like when he was at Brighton in his first season, first season and a half, both his parents died within six months of each other. And then the pandemic hit mm. and he was talking about how he's feeling incredibly angry. And he couldn't work out if it was the pressure of being in the Premier League or just the devastation of losing two parents in six months or, uh, I guess, an, a pandemic, which was um, kicking in around then as well. So he says it was father. I thought this was a lovely comment. Just a last uh, comment from uh, Potter. He, they, he was talking about parents He was because he, uh, he was on holiday recently and he was thinking a lot about his parents, Stephen Val. Uh, and they died during his first season at Brighton. So what he says in this interview is, I would say we're all a product of our parents. Everybody says I'm like my dad. He was a worrier. So maybe I got a bit of that from him. He worked in a factory. He was an engineer. He did the night shift for eight years and traveled 45 minutes to his job. And it was low paid. Bless him. Liked his football, liked going out, playing snooker with his friends on a Friday night. The rest of the time stayed home with my mum. Me and my brother were his interests. And fundamentally, he was a good guy who wanted to do things right and be a good person with his friends and his family. And what's really interesting, I think, is Potter says, I spent a lot of my 20s thinking, oh, my dad, he could have done better than that. If I was him, I'd do better. But age makes us wiser. Now I look at him and I think, wow, he did brilliant. There were fewer possibilities for people then. There you go. He did the important things well. Yeah, interesting, man. Not bad for a Premier League interview, don't, the morning of a trip to Old Trafford. I was going to say, you don't, you don't get these... We, we, we kind of mourn those types of interviews in the Sunday papers. You talk about it on the pay-per-view a lot on Sundays, you know, but I guess you could still maybe get them out of people of uh, of his generation. But yeah, very, very interesting piece. Yeah. Just an interesting guy. The Ossersund st- stuff, 
I've been kind of following for years. I remember talking about it on the radio like a good few years ago yeah. about them going to the ballet and doing all these things as a group and it being kind of this, uh, you know, uh, forced thing almost that like, you know, we do these things as a team and we go outside our comfort zone. Really interesting stuff. I don't know whether it's any use to it for playing football, but their results yeah. uh, obviously have done well. But what I did think, I was thinking about this twice, actually. I thinking about it during the game and then I was thinking about it when we were talking about Manchester United in the news round. Is like, you're not thinking about Brighton enough. Like, you know, Brighton had a huge part to play. They came to Old Trafford and dominated. And they were, they were a well-coached team. And I was thinking this during the match. I was yeah. like, this is a team who knows what they're doing and has a plan and is getting the most out of the players that they have. The opposite of what Manchester United are doing, which I don't want to get back to. And <laughs> the opposite of what my team did at the weekend, you know, and that, that that's all about the manager. And that's a guy who's doing the best with what he has. Fourth lowest budget in the league. Yeah. Finish yeah, ninth. And you know it. Look around the team and Finish you know ninth. it. And then they lose, they lose Cucurella, like, you know, during the week. Mm. No bother. They lost Basuma in the summer. They haven't really replaced those players. No. You know? So, I mean, look, I mean, wage bill being the defining factor, it seems. Fourth lowest and they finished ninth, which is quite something. By the way, one last point, And this is just more about the Swedish education system, which had me um, <laughs> curious. So he talked about the move home being far worse than the move to Sweden because his son, who was one when they moved, is now seven. And what he said was, he didn't elaborate on this. That was, this was crying out to be elaborated on. He said... Uh, our twins were born there, but Charlie was seven. It was far more traumatic moving home. If you're a seven-year-old in this country, as in England, if you're a seven-year-old in this country, you're sitting at a desk and you're doing tests half the time. If you're seven in Sweden, you're playing up a tree half the day. Uh, yeah. There was no follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose what they're saying is that you're, you're, you're learning life rather than learning maths. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, one last point before we uh, chat to Pat, who is uh, waiting... Patiently. I just want to talk to Pat about all this stuff, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Aston Villa, who you obviously uh, follow very, very closely, lost yeah. to Bournemouth 2-0. Scott Parker, it seems, is uh, one of the really exceptional prospects. And, and Gary Neville was talking about doing his FA badges, his coaching badges, and Parker was there around then as well. And the word from the officials was they hadn't seen a prospect like Parker in a very long time. So okay. watch this space. So Bournemouth might be better than we all anticipate. That said, Aston Villa losing 2-0, uh, not good. There's the whole Tyrone Ming situation. Yes. Loss of captaincy, his meek enough tweet. I mean, I guess you have to publicly say everything's OK. But then Gerard at the weekend on Mings, who was on the bench, saying, uh, I'm confident, have the full belief that when Tyrone is back at his best and looks me in the eye and shows me he's ready to play, he'll get opportunities. Uh, for Gerard, there is a degree of pressure Oh, on. hugely. Now, there has to be, you know, and I think it's I, I thought actually that he would get an easier time from the media, especially people who wouldn't have seen this game like I watched it um, than he did. Now, I think people are understanding that the pressure's coming on. I think the way he's handled the Ming stuff has been, oh, I don't want to get too kind of like parochial as a fan and stuff like that, but I'm really disappointed in it. Like, Theron Mings makes a lot of mistakes sometimes, is a better player than I think he's given credit for, right? Yeah. But even so, it's okay for the manager to decide we're moving on from this guy. They've bought in Carlos. He liked Konza more than Mings. Fine. Understandable. That's a footballing decision that he's paid to make. But the way he handled the captaincy situation, a few days before the start of the season, he not only makes a new captain, but like makes 
a club captain and two vice captains, which I've never heard of before, just to make sure that Mings isn't part of it at all. Okay. And then and then comes out and makes comments about him, like, look me in the eye if you want to play for this team again. Tyrone Mings is a good guy and that, always that, comes that, across as a good guy. Oh, does he? Because that suggests yeah. that Mings has an attitude problem, I think. Uh, well, I, I've never heard of anything of, of Tyrone Mings having an attitude problem. He's been a good player for Villa and he's been there long before Gerrard has. And I don't really understand where this is coming from. And I think it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. I think there's a lot of players there who will look at that and say, why is he treating this guy like this? And you know? what's, so if you take the end of last season into this season, yes. it's been a torrid time for Jared. What's going wrong? Because the football is actually a more important thing to talk about here because it's all very well reacting to a 2-0 first day of yeah. the season defeat and looking like an Egypt because I'm going here going calling for Gerard's head, which I'm not quite, but you know, on the verge of. If you actually watch the game, and I guarantee most of the pundits that you hear from, because there's a lot more interesting games on than Bournemouth versus Aston Villa at 3 o'clock on Saturday, didn't watch it. Villa were pathetic. And I don't mean this, I actually I'm not exaggerating there. They conceded the goal after one minute and 56 seconds of the new season from a corner that was badly defended. That can happen, right? How they reacted for the rest of the game was to do nothing. To do absolutely nothing. They played with it like a team with absolutely no game plan whatsoever. Danny Ings was playing up front on his own, which is a weird play. He's, he's not a striker that plays up front on his own. If you play one up front, you play Watkins. He was dropped. Loads of really questionable decisions on this team selection and they played with absolutely no go forward plan at all. All they seemed to have was like try to win fouls in midfield and then have two lads over the ball and hoof it into the box from 40 yards away. It was easily clear. They didn't create any chances. They had no discernible game plan and except for half hours pressure. So this is another thing. This is a, you talk about Manchester United being a bad pressing team last year. This is just a Villa team that weren't up for it. So uh, Bournemouth were doing the short kickouts. There was uh, commentators like, oh, this is a bit risky now. You know, yeah. Villa will put them under pressure. And what Villa would do is they wouldn't stand back and let them have it, which is what you're supposed to do if you're not going to press properly. What they would do is half arse jog over to them. Bournemouth would easily clear it out and then have loads of space up the field mm. because they've been kind of pressed. So, the, like, I mean, I don't mean, I, there's no, nobody's watched this game. There's no point in getting into too specifics. But if you're going to say to me, oh, you're overreacting because anyone could lose a game and Bournemouth are probably underrated and so on, Villa didn't look like a team who knew what they were doing. Gerrard seems to have favourites, like John McGinn's been made captain. He hasn't played well in six months or so, was really bad the other day, took off Jacob Ramsey at half time. McGinn has to play his 90 minutes. There's a lot of that going on on the team as well. Really bad sign. You know, talking about Potter maybe not being a great footballer, um, you know, he's obviously a very good manager. There's nothing to suggest to me that Stephen Gerrard's a very good manager. If he is brilliant, I'm glad he's at my club, mm. but I don't see where it is. Okay. He won the league He won the league when Celtic collapsed, basically, when Neil Lennon as a manager. Let's do a piece this week with a journalist who's covering Villa Week in Week. I want a second source here, because this, sounds, this, sounds, this has crept up in me, this yeah. Gerrard situation. This but look, at Villa have won two of their last 12 games and they're both against teams who were relegated last year. His record, and I heard this, this was on OTBAM this morning, a YouTube uh, texter and the lads checked it. His record at Villa before Saturday when they lost is the exact same as, as Gary Neville's record at Valencia. <laughs> There's a real like QED there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. There you uh, go. We'll do a piece on Jared and Villa this week. Please uh, do. Mick McCarthy for the time being, thank you. For the first time this season, very happy to say, Mr. Pat Nevin is with us after the uh, weekend that was. Let's start with the defending champions, Manchester City 2 0 winners against West Ham at the London Stadium. So I think I think this Highland kid's going to be okay. I don't want to put my neck out too much. Uh, what, uh, did you f- find the week post Community Shield of 
will he be able to adapt slightly odd or were you, were you slightly worried that it might be a tricky start for Haaland? No, it just made me laugh out loud quite a lot um, because if you've watched him and you watched the capabilities he's got, um, he's got absolutely, I think, everything just about mm. that you need for a centre-forward. Uh, certainly you look at um, what he'd done before, just even just go and look at a, a load of his goals that he scored before. I understand you have to ask the questions. It's perfectly reasonable to ask the questions, such as, you know, Manchester City are a different style. They're not a breaking team, Dortmund were. Mm. Um, but in reality, when you see the amount of chances that Manchester City generally make the way they play, you think, wow, stick Holland in the end of that, then wow, it looks as if it could be special. Um, but then you look at technically what he did in this the first real game of the season, because I think nothing... Um, from the the, 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 char- the charity shield because charity shield is just it's basically just a friendly. Yeah. Uh, people talk about it, but it's a friendly and it's it's a it's a way to get a lot of match fitness. Um, and there's no more than that. Uh, whatever is built up by various people. So I took nothing from that. So um, when you're playing with Holland, with the physique he's got, with the pace that he's got, with the intelligence that he's got, um, the space that he makes, just even the space that he makes for other people is scary. The mm. space that he makes for very, very good players who can do brilliant things when given a little bit of extra space. And, uh, I mean, even the likes of Grealish, who didn't have a great season last season, it was okay, but not great. He's suddenly not going to have two and three men marking him all the time because he can't. Because you're going to have two or three people marking Holland and he's going to have a load more space to go and create. Um, I'm, I'm amazed that people not, I'm not amazed they ask the question but I'm amazed that people think it, it's even a, a remote possibility that he uh, won't do at least very very no, well, I, at I, least I, I'm with you and, and, and last Monday when we were talking about this I, I, I said that Kevin De Bruyne is going to have about 45 assists by the end of the season and that this guy is going to score a gazillion goals can I ask, so do, take the two goals that he was involved in Maybe start with the second one for a moment because it really caught the eye. He scored a ton of goals like that for Dortmund. And I wanted to ask you, so Ben Johnson there as centre-half can see Haaland as making this run. And this happened again at Dortmund all the time. Centre-half seemed powerless to do very much about it. Is it just that he's so fast or has he just picked an angle that can't seem to get near him? Because it just looks like it's unfolding before the centre-half's eyes and they just can't seem to do much about it continually. Well, the angle of it, the timing of it, the fact that he's intelligent enough to make the run and knows the players who are capable of finding in that in, in that moment, in that second. I mean, uh, certainly the second pass-through was, you know, it looks simple when you see it. You know, oh yeah, oh, that's the obvious pass to make and the obvious run to make. It's actually not. That's that's the way it looks in slow motion. Okay. It's a brilliant piece of movement by him, and with De Bruyne, you know he will lay it there mm. if you make that run. But the thing that actually jumped out to me was another part in the second half, and it was again the ball was played up the right wing. I would say he was about four yards second favourite to make it against a quick defender, and he won it by about six, <laughs> you know, and it was only over about thirty forty yards. Yeah, he, it's. People often talk about you know different types, different pace. His is stupid. His is absolutely stupid. He will make a lot of people look a bit ridiculous, and you'll question them and, and think why why didn't you see that? Yeah. It's unbelievable, and it's a different type of pace. People talk about you know 
types of pace. There's pace that you can use. You may get in from A to B in the same amount of time. People think, right, okay, that's one thing. And yes, it is. But there's another type of physical power pace that you can't get near anyway. Because if you get close to him, it'll just shove you off. And it'll just, just basically, you'll bounce off him. Mm. Uh, every single bit of a game just about looked as if, yeah, he's not lost a thing. He's got the natural sort of eye for a goal. Someone asked me before the start of the season, you know, do, did I think Man City will win the league? And I said, yeah. Um, and I've changed my mind. I think Haaland will win the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's pushing it a wee bit. But yeah. when you've got his ability and then you you stick what's behind them, behind them. It's, it's, it's scary. There was another brilliant piece of movement he did that's, you know, if you don't watch the game, you just watch him. And he goes to the byline. And it's like, honestly, his reactions are like a mongoose. He's, you know, it's like, you know, like um, Rush and all them used to be. Every single possibility, he would chase it in yeah. just in case the keeper, you know, drops it. Even when it's an obvious when the keeper's going to get it. So, honestly, I, I can't, I, it's going to be so hard for anybody to stop him. Really hard. For the first goal in winning the penalty, that was a shorter, sharper movement. Probably the kind of movement he's going to have to make against a low block for quite a bit of this season. And people had questioned if he could do that. I mean, that five, six yard turn and run, he can do that no problem. The problem they've got with, uh, yeah, low block, what do you mean it's deep defending, yeah. I've, I've decided <laughs> to get rid of some of the, the, the kind of cliche, no, the, the kind of phrases that are used now. Um, I know. See if I, I hear I, the... I, I, see if, low block is not something I grew up with. I've just uh, given into it. Uh, well, I know, but it's, okay, we'll, we'll go with defending. We'll go with defending deep on Monday nights here with you. Defending deep. Can, can, can we go for the? My favourite one of them is absolutely my favourite jargon one just now. And I counted a game recently when I heard this word used twenty three times. Yeah, transition. Transition. I knew it was going to be transition. Called it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what transition is? Yeah. Right, so low block is defending deep. Do you know what transition is? You gave the ball away. I know. <laughs> I know. It, transition's a tough one because it really dresses up what's just like the game. It's just This is just the game. There was, I mean, I watched a lot of the, the women's uh, Euros, obviously, and I loved it, obviously. Um, I do love women's football. But, I mean, they're utterly addicted to transitions. But then they did give the ball away a lot. <laughs> yeah, so, a lot of transitions. Uh, so, let me anyway. rephrase the question. Defending deep in numbers... Uh, everything's tight and, and he, he made an angle and he, and he showed that quick pace over two, three, four yards. So, I mean, I mean, if he can do that and he's got the players behind him, then against uh, uh, teams parking the bus, mm-hmm. he'll be just fine. He will be just fine. And remember, teams have been doing this against Manchester City for a while. So what do they do? They, they get to the bylines and cut back mm. and they, they do it with incredible regularity. Now, they didn't actually have to do it that much in this game um, against West Ham because, you know, they had... Holland to do what he was doing, but they can do it and they can do it easily. And he already looked as if he was trying to work one or two intricate one twos himself to get those positions. If someone's getting to the byline and cut back, come on, really, yeah. is he going to struggle? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, it's made for him as well. So you can go through the middle now in a way you couldn't go before. I mean, a way they weren't even close to being as good as they are through the middle, but they've also got that other option wide uh, where they can get to bylines and the, the almost impossible ball. Uh, to stop. So, you know, yes, ask the questions. That That's what we're here for. We're here to ask the questions, are the problems. Every single manager will be looking there thinking, okay, what do I do to stop him? Mm. And you might stop him, but good luck because it's going to take two or three of you 
and that just leaves a massive bunch of gaps elsewhere. Um, and I, I, you know, I'm not saying they'll go through the whole season, they'll win every game. Somebody will block them at one point, but you know what Pep will say? It's fine. Yeah. We're doing the right things. It'll work. We're long term, and he's right. He's absolutely right. Um, and for, I mean, it's, it's a it's a bit of a scam to talk about. Is it fifty? 50 million quid or 51 million pounds they talked about the cost mm. and uh, you know other teams like Chelsea Brian Cucurella for 60 million it's not fair that, that that's just not a, a fair comparison at all it's not 50 million pounds it's what he had deliberately written in his contract because nobody else could turn down what his demands were at the time yeah. and have a look at what he's going to be making on top of that a contract is a global sum uh, but if it is 50 million quid it's the cheapest, and I never thought I'd say the phrase, but it's the cheapest 50 million quid I've ever seen. Mm. And a word on City generally, because I, I do take your point that Haaland effectively could win in the league, but it, it was quite striking that, uh, what would you say, significant players in the guise of Zinchenko and Jesus and Sterling were allowed to leave. Really, Haaland and Calvin Phillips were the two signings, and it seems they rate Alvarez very highly as well. Did you class that as a perfectly understandable summer on Pep's part? The weird thing is, if you look at the the money spent, they've actually made money. Yeah. They've actually, which is staggering. And are they weaker? No, I can't. I can't you can't. I can't even consider that as been a, a thought because they've got other players that they've got coming through. Now, Rodri State and obviously Begundogan, you just have you've got to look at the bench and then say, okay, is it strong enough? Is it good enough? And I, I think players like Cole Palmer, Mares. Bernardo Silva, we know that he's there, still there as well. Um, they've got good strength and depth there. Um, and I'm not sure it's absolutely finished yet. Right. I think they might get one or two more in. Remember, up until very recently, there was talk of Ake leaving. Mm. So I, I still think they're looking around and there might be one or two that they just right at the end. The business has been done really well. A lot of it's done early. But they'll be sitting there waiting, right, okay, we've got some money in the bank. Well, they've got plenty of money, but they've got, you know, certainly they've not spent all the money they could have spent this this uh, transfer window. So, don't be absolutely shocked if uh, another player comes in. Uh, mm. Goodness knows what position. I mean, maybe maybe a left back. Who knows? It's all looking very ominous for everybody at the moment. We are going to take a very short break. Quite a few things I want to talk to you about on the far side. Our football on off the ball is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports. Pat Nevin with us on a Monday short break and we're back talking about the rest of the weekend's action. I had a fry every day this summer. Talking about building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there to throw the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Football on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, Scottish Premiership and much more, live on Sky Sports. You're welcome back. So very happy to say Pat Nevin is with us once again on the Premier League Monday evening. We are looking back on the opening weekend. There's so much to discuss. I'm going to break the habit I have. I prefer going deep with you on a few subjects, but I just want to hit as many things as we can. So we might go a touch superficial if we can. Uh, Liverpool 2, Fulham 2. We're talking about how great City looked in so many ways. Uh, Liverpool, by Jurgen Klopp's own admission, were very, very flat against Fulham and lucky to get a draw. Uh, what has been discussed in the aftermath is their midfield situation. So Thiago and his injury profile is a worry, as good as he is. Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho, not the youngest triumvirate. And you have Milner who can come on. 
Uh, Naby Keita is back from illness soon. Harvey Elliott is in the mix. Curtis Jones has an injury. Oxley Chamberlain has an injury. So Klopp was talking on the Liverpool website today and he was saying in the midfield situation, a transfer must make sense now, but also in the long term. We have midfielders. We still have enough midfielders. It's not that we lack midfielders. It's just some of them are injured. This is not a good situation. I don't like it at all, but we have to see how we react on that. But for sure, we're not panicking. I mean, it's a very Jurgen Klopp-Liverpool approach. Uh, they won't be um, panicked into making a bad uh, buy, but there is a, a question mark over the midfield situation at the moment. Yeah, he'll feel that. But I, I agree. I don't think he should panic quite yet. I suspect he's got a whole season to do it. Uh, he'll be able to get by with what is there if he has to get by with what is there and still be as close as anybody else, I think, to Manchester City. Um, but, you know, they've tried to make the changes up front. They were probably important ones to really consider because, you know, that front three had been brown for a long, long time, but it may well be that you have to refresh that. He does. Mane goes, you know, and you've, you've got a couple of players, and Diaz comes in, but you've got players coming in and you think, well, if we've got top quality players, we've sorted that out because you don't know what's going to happen with Salah. Um, you absolutely don't know what's going to happen with Salah. But you've got Nunes and you're thinking, right, OK, that's kind of sorted. You're not worried about fullback area. So you're, you're kind of getting the blocks in place. I think it's a bit of not make doing men's harsh. It's not that, but mm. you'll just about get by in midfield because the real creativity is ahead of that midfield. They're not really a team that creates massive amounts from the midfield, are they? They're a team that plays, creates massive amounts from the wide areas. Mm. So make sure your fullback areas are sorted. They bought another fullback during the window as well. So uh, I have to mention that, obviously, because I'm contractually have contractually have to mention mm. that because he is Scottish. Yep. But um, Calvin Ramsey's he's young, but you know he's he's got a lot, and maybe in two or three years' time he could be good enough. So I, I do understand what they're doing. I wouldn't be, again, surprised if they're absolutely on the lookout for one more midfielder. It always amazes me that there's not that ultra-creativity that comes from that area. They're really... I mean, do any of them? I'd ask you. Do, I mean, Fabinho, yeah, a bit, but there's nobody that's ultra-creative in that midfield, in that three that's often played there. I guess, um, I guess you'd fancy Thiago to find a pass when it's on. But numbers... They're not huge, are they? No. They're not, no, they're not being huge. So they get a lot of yeah. sty- a lot of style points. Yeah, yeah, and we love it. It's great to watch. But so you know, maybe that's something that he would look for. That someone you're getting in the next point that mm. uh, you get out that midfielder. You think, yeah, get somebody that's got that um, energy levels because the demands are you play at those energy levels. But they clearly didn't weren't able to do that. And by the way, they weren't the only team utterly unable to do that in the first week of the season yeah. and by the way I've been racking my brains for the last two or three days to understand why that's the case a number of teams just looked unbelievably sluggish there was games quite a few games I watched there were whole swathes of players that looked as if they were still in pre-season yeah. now I know we started a wee bit early but they've had a full break this summer you know there's, there wasn't a Euros there wasn't a World Cup Um and it's I've I'm kind of I've had some ideas are brewing away which caused it with some of them, but I'll watch it for another couple of weeks to find out. And Liverpool were certainly it wasn't heavy metal football, was it? No. Okay, shout when you're willing to share the theory in the next couple of weeks because what Klopp said was we're going to look into it and we will find the reason and we will get it sorted. And you he's not the only one. Yeah. There's, there's others looking at why it's been sluggish. Mitrovic picked up where he left off last season. The goal at the back post where he. Um, 
towered over Alexander-Arnold. I was thinking to myself, the last big competitive game we saw Alexander-Arnold was the Champions League final, where again, there was... Uh, there were fingers pointed at him. Um, in in this situation, I heard Tony Cascarino making um, an observation because he scored quite his fair share of goals, probably coming in at the back post, Alan Mitrovic in that situation. And he said, what you really want a defender to do there, because it's not, look, it's not a great situation for a defender. Things are against you. Forward's got a run in you. You're, ba- you're backing off. He said, the really great defenders he played against, they stood tall and they just kept backing aggressively into me when I was going up to win a header back right into me just put me off enough and and Alexander-Arnold seemed to almost be flat-footed and, and hunched over like cowering almost and, and allowed himself to be towered over and he just like these defensive instincts have been have been talked about maybe a bit too much in the past but it is another area or another moment where you think opposition will look at Alexander-Arnold and say there's a there's just a definite weakness there yeah I think most people know it. he's not a classic defender he's not an absolutely natural defender but it makes up for that for what it does the other way. Yeah. Um, and pace-wise, he's got plenty of that as well. But that pure physicality, he's generally not got it. Funnily enough, Robertson's better slightly on the other side because he'll do that. He'll get done at the back post because he's smaller mm. than Alexander-Arnold. But he'll gen- generally put his body in there. There's plenty of times, us smaller players, when we played, we knew we're not going to win that one. Mm. What you do is you put your body in a position where it's really difficult for a bigger player to go and get a clean header. You don't even need got for a header. You just affect his movement. And yeah. Cascarino was absolutely right. That's what you do. They affect the movement. But he didn't, did he? And no. it kind of leads on to another point where that ball's played at the back post. It came over the top of him. There, I'll tell you what, there's been seasons recently that would have been chopped off. They just said, oh, you used your hand and you pushed on top of him. And the joy of the start of this season is not happening. The referees actually are trying to stick to it and allow a little more physicality in the game. Um, and certainly, players like Alexander-Arnold, I, even defensive positioning is not particularly good for him. Right. Not just at the back post, that's yeah. one thing. But because he spends so much time up flying forward, there's always a gap in there. There's always a gap behind him. And it's the, the biggest weakness that Liverpool have got. But having said that, if he's creating 20 or 30 or 40 chances a season... I think you're going to go, yeah, fair enough. But you're right, there is a weakness defensively and going forward, maybe for England, mm. if they're looking at him or Rhys James, they might think, well, no one's going to do that at Rhys James, are they? No. Because of his physicality. So, you know, that's maybe it, one mark down against him. But having said that, there's plenty of marks for him. Oh, he's, I like, it sounds overly critical. I, I can see why Klopp says over the course of 38 games, the good outweighs the bad. I suspect Southgate thinks in one-off games... We got to be more conservative, and uh, and that's particularly who you're playing against as well. If you're playing against a team that are particularly physical in that area. You might not choose them, and, and you're absolutely right. And, and Southgate knows that. Shoot down this uh, question very quickly, and we can move on if you want. Because Van Dijk is I, uh, one of most people's favourite players, mine included. I was watching on Saturday, and there were times where he's on the ball, and it struck me there is a very fine line between having an air of authority on the ball and showing confidence of the ball, and frankly, just being sluggish. And I think of the way Jordan Henderson injects tempo with his passing. And honestly, there were times where Van Dijk sucked all tempo out of the play because he was so languid. And again, it's a fine line between uh, sluggish and uh, air of authority. I thought maybe, like, if he... I don't want to say to him, like, get the rhythm going a bit more. You're good enough to do it. But I thought he was maybe more in the sluggish category. Right. Is it possibly 
saying the unsayable. That maybe Van Dijk isn't the player he was. Um, and I think we're going to find out this season. Okay. Last season, there was a couple of times I looked and I thought, why are you standing square? You know, really a couple of times. And being square was what caused the penalty as well this time. Mm. But it happened a few times last season. There's a reason why centre-backs do that. Um, I remember Rio Ferdinand doing it nearer the end of his career. Because they don't want to chase. They want to just win the ball. Right. They want to chase. Um, and that's why they do it. I mean, I watched... By the way, that's not to abuse a player. I watched Thiago Silva doing it a lot now. But he's absolutely brilliant. Because <laughs> he doesn't want to chase anyone. Because he won't catch them, right? Mm. Um, I'm, I'm going to watch... And I think everyone should watch Van Dijk. He's fabulous. He's a wonderful player. I love him to bits. And I've talked to you many times about uh, in the past. Is Van Dijk the player he was two or three years ago, before his injuries? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think we'll find out the answer to that question this season. If that happens again, what happened there, because it happened a couple of times last season, if he gets caught getting a player and standing square and sticking a leg out, it's not good defending. It's not. He never did that. I've watched him for years and years and years and years. Mm. He never did it because he always cruised into positions where he would walk away with the ball. So to keep an eye on him and see if, if is it the injury has slowed him down okay. or is it something else? You know, maybe he's just a wee bit sluggish at the start of the season. That, that's one for fans to keep an eye on. Yes, for sure. And I would, I, I, if, he's, if he's still dallying on the ball in six weeks' time, then I'll bring it up with you again. So I'll, I'll park that one for now. I thought it was a touch unfair even as I was saying it. Uh, <laughs> you were at Goodison on Saturday. Yeah. Was, do you know what? I, 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 I don't often get kind of mawkish when I'm talking about football, but the old days, you know. Yeah, I rarely ever talk about, you know, the old days. But I, it reminded me of my first day when I played my first game for Everton. And it was a beautiful sunny day and Goodison was bouncing and it, it, the vibrancy and the sunshine and the excitement. And, and then the game started. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. It was, I mean, Everton chased and carried for about 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. But honestly, it was really, I, I don't know, apart from the penalty kick, and even that wasn't very memorable. So few memorable things happened in that game. And that sluggishness we're talking about, which may well be something got to do with starts of the season and mm. carryovers from other teams. It might be these things, right? But both teams showed it. And Chelsea looked really, really sluggish. They did not look like... I mean, if you had to look at it in that kind of uh, form... You're not saying top four. No. You're absolutely not saying top four. But you know, it's early days yet, um, and it was it was it was a real shame because and there was a number of things that happened. There was the terrible injury to Godfrey. Well, it turns out it's a bad injury. It's not a terrible injury. It could have been. We thought it was terrible, but yeah. it's, it's you know get over it and it'll be back in two or three months hopefully. Um, so something happened in the crowd that stopped the game again. It yeah. was such a bitty game. There was no structure to it. There was no smoothness to it. There was no control of it. Um, but in simple terms, nobody played very well. No, it's <laughs> no, funny. I, 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 I watched the second half in full and I, I, I tuned in like two, three minutes into the second half. And, the cr you know, the crowd gives you, anytime you turn on a match, the crowd gives you an indication of what you're, you're arriving into. And it was so dead. And I thought, OK, maybe it's a lull in play, but it was dead right the way through. Do you know what? You suspect in part because Goodison had recognised fairly acutely at that stage that they had zero threat. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's definitely part of it. But 
they were and they were ready to move. They were ready to, and Goodison's always like that. Mm. And the fans have put so much into the, the end of last season to help Everton get over the line. And I, I was at the fan park beforehand. I was uh, talking to some Everton fans and doing a wee bit for the fans beforehand. And uh, there was they were buzzing. They were really up for it, and they made that phenomenal noise. And as I said, then the game started, and they just couldn't get the players. And then they chucked it, and then the players were. You know, it was just just such hard work, and there was no ingenuity, inventiveness. You know, Gordon would sometimes do that, but he was playing up front, and he basically can't really do that to any great level against good defenders. And he was against a good defender. If you had to take positives out of it, if you were almost anyone, uh, Kukurela come on and livened up the game. Kulabali, mm. when Rudiger left Chelsea, I thought, oh, they have got a gigantic problem. And then you watch Koulibaly and you think, oh, no, that's fine. (laughs) He's okay. He's going to be good enough. Um, Those two were interesting. And I will admit, I I reserve judgment to some degree, but probably the most skillful player on the pitch by a distance was Raheem Sterling. There was moments, and he did have some really quite sparkling moments that were, you know, if the rest of the team could play with that sort of spark, then they'll, they'll be a good team. But Chelsea are still... They're a distance behind. And funnily enough, I met up again. Sorry, to throw this in here, but Clang, I got invited into direct in, into the boardroom afterwards, and ended up you know, that embarrassing moment. Who did I talk to? Did I talk to the Everton board or did I talk to the Chelsea board? <laughs> uh, I ended up talking to the Chelsea board because it was Barbara Sharon, one of the board members there, and I've known her for a number of years, and it was um, it was really interesting to talk to him. Well, I tried to listen as much as possible because they're new in their game um, and one thing I will say about them they are disarmingly positive disarmingly excited about it all right. you know uh, Todd Bowley wasn't there but two or three others were there and uh, I come away from it thinking yeah you'll make mistakes but do you know what they'll be, with, they'll be with the absolute right attitude and I was desperate to say to them look you need another centre-back. Get out there now. Come on, don't muck about. But I think they know it. I think Do they've they? been told it. So have Chelsea been like stripped of all their institutional knowledge from like a footballing perspective? Because certainly the read from people when they saw 70 million on Cucurella as, as, as nice a player as he is, is, wow, this is naive in the extreme. Um, especially if you've got Chilwell and you've got, you know, Emerson, you've got Alonso, Alonso yeah. you know, and you, you need a centre-back. <laughs> you think, whoa, wait a minute. But they spend a lot of money, and it looks as if they're quite comfortable spending quite a lot more money. And if they could get another centre half that's capable, um, and then when you watch that energy level that Cucurella brings, and others, you know, will have that as the season progresses. But he always has that. So, you know, it's a lot of money, maybe more than the value. But I still think it's going to be a very, very good signing for Chelsea. I think they've overdone the naivety. I did say one thing, and you'll think I'm a crawler, okay? Mm-hmm. Everyone here, you'll think I'm a crawler. But they said, they asked me what did I think of it, the couple of the board members, and I said, there's probably the three liveliest players in the part of the three you just bought. And that's true, though. And yeah. I wasn't being a crawler. Yeah, it's okay. actually true. Um, so they, they, it's not that bad a start. It's not that naive. But they, they will make mistakes, but they definitely need, if they're going to get to up for they need another set back. Set back. There's not even a question about that. They cannot get away without it. Mm. As an aside, by the way, because I think clock is going to kill us here. We're not going to get to touch on United or Spurs to any great degree. But it's a long season. We'll do that as the as the weeks go by. 
Uh, just an, an aside from that game, Deli Ali came on and was once upon a time such a brilliant talent. I was desperately hoping that over this summer he would pitch up on day one, super fit, fit super lean, ready to go. And he just didn't. He didn't look fit. And then when he was on the pitch, he looked to be really struggling in the 20 minutes he played to make an impact. Uh, you'd have massive worry. Like this feels like last chance saloon for him. And, and he, it doesn't look like he's had the summer he needed to have. Um, but then playing up front on his own, is, that's not his type of player. Sure. He's never that type But even of physically, he just didn't look like where he needs to be. Uh, I, I would agree. I'll, I'll, I'll hold up just one more hope for him that yeah. when Dominic Calvert-Lewin's back and he can play as a 10, see, he played him as a 10, one side or you know, six and an eight, beside you know, um, Gordon and going off to Calvert-Lewin, that actually might work okay. Mm. That might work okay. But we've hoped and hoped and hoped for a long, long time. You think back of when Deli Ali was the kid coming through, you know, the guy that was going to be, you know, off the striker or, you know, left attacking midfielder for England. And then just try and think of how many players are ahead of him now. There are dozens of players ahead of him now. Um, you, in all honesty, it looks like hunger. It looks yeah. like if if you're going to make it to top level, you need lots of things. You need ability, you need everything, but boy, you need to be hungry. And he never quite looks at it, does he? To the level you need him to be. Um, if he got that hunger from somewhere, then maybe. Yeah. But I agree with you. It wasn't on show. It wasn't on show on Saturday. We'll absolutely talk Arsenal and Spurs next Monday. Let's make a point of doing that. Uh, before you go, we've about 90 seconds or so. It would be remiss not to get your thoughts on the never-ending soap opera at Old Trafford. <laughs> Honestly. Do you know every time a manager comes in, you think, yeah, it'll be different this time. And he knows his stuff and yeah. he'll have a long-term plan. Yeah. And then you get beat one game and then you start trying to buy players and you go, what? You're buying him? You're getting an Otovich? <laughs> really? Is that is that big the big game plan? Now, players like an Otovich, I don't know if he's, he's signed yet that we're talking about. They know that certainly sounds as if they're looking for him. Yeah. Um, and Rabiot as well. Yeah, they've got and Rabiot. Just, they've got Rabiot. Right. So, and you're thinking, good luck, mate. I mean, really, good luck, mate. If you're going to try and... You look around at the teams that are incredibly successful. They've got amazing team spirit. They work as a unit. They're hardworking. They're, they're all the things that that type of player isn't. <laughs> you just think, oh, come on. You, you, you almost feel a wee bit saddened. That, and it might work. You never know it might work. But, boy, it's not. it doesn't look as if... When I say work, it doesn't look as if those are signings and that group, that's a group that's going to get them to top four. Can we see that right out there yeah, just now? Is can. that taking a chance? No, I don't think so. I mean, Erling Haaland's going to score goals. United won't finish top four. I think you're safe. But there was none of the like high-pressing, high-energy that was promised during pre-season either, you know? It was, it was just all very well, flat. I hope they don't ask Chris, Christian Eriksen to be the front of that. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You need to let people do it. Martial, for all the fact that he is a lovely player, has never flourished in the way I hoped he would because he has got great technical skills. That's not his game either. Who's going to be the player to do that? That everyone else will say, "Yeah, I'm going to come up behind you." It's not going to be Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, I, I just, I'd be amazed if it's an Altovic. He's one of the ones that, that does that, chasing, 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 runs really close and just misses it and gets passed by. Yeah. And now the fans go, "Yeah,", yeah. and other players go, "You get," yeah. <laughs> because it's because it's just show. We shall see if that continues to be the case. 
Uh, Pat, thank you so much. Uh, looking forward to the season ahead. I suspect we'll have lots to talk about every Monday evening. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. See you Cheers. Soon. Pat Nevin with us on a Monday evening. And, uh, well, we'll do a few more Premier League pieces across the week. We will uh, touch on Spurs and uh, Arsenal for sure with Pat next week. Our football on Off the Ball is brought to you by Sky. Watch every live Premier League game this season on Sky Sports, BD Sport and Premier Sports.